Today we begin a series of sermons entitled Hopes and Tears of All the Years. Today's sermon title is When Dreams Don't Come True. We all have dreams. We have dreams of a better life. Dreams of a family or a bigger family with that perfect man or woman. Dreams of making more money, a bigger house, a faster car, a beautiful yacht. But we all know that sometimes dreams don't come true. And when they don't, we can become bitter, sad, and defeated. Today I'm going to talk about one person and then a group of people whose dreams did come true, but in t- at a time and in a way that they never would have expected. Our first scriptural passage deals with someone we know very little about, except for the wondrous event that occurred in his life, Joseph of the Christmas story. We do know that he was born, we do know that he had in his family tree some very famous people like King David. He grew up a Jewish boy. He probably studied under a rabbi and came to know quite a bit about the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament. One thing that was stressed in his religious education was that someday the Messiah was going to come and free the Jewish people from their oppressive rule under the Romans. Joseph was taught that the Messiah would be a warrior king, similar to his distant relative, King David. The the Messiah would make the Jewish nation one of the strongest nations, if not the strongest, in the world. He, who too, had dreams of his own. One of them was to marry a nice Jewish girl and have lots of children, preferably boys, because women were viewed as an economic item at the time. His dream was being fulfilled with Mary. Following the marital customs of the time, they probably were a product of an arranged marriage that was instituted when they were still very, very young. Then in their teens, they became betrothed. And after one year, Joseph and Mary could live together as husband and wife. It was during their betrothal period that Joseph's dream was dramatically shattered. Joseph received what would have been shocking news to any man about to be married. He learned that Mary was pregnant. This would have been terrible news to Joseph for many reasons, not the least of which that Mary would had been unfaithful to him and therefore Under the law, she could be stoned to death. We also know from our first scriptural passage something that is very important in this whole story. Joseph was a righteous man, meaning he was in a right relationship with God. He lived his life close to God. That's why he did an incredible thing. He set aside all of his very understandable doubts, fears, insecurities, anger, and worry, and accepted the birth of a son he knew was not his own. 
and was conceived during his betrothal. He did so because in a dream the angel of the Lord angel of the Lord came to him and said, The child within Mary is no ordinary boy. He had been conceived by the Holy Spirit and would save us all from our sins and was to be named Jesus. Talk about pressure. Oy vey. He had to act immediately and find a place for Mary so that she could safely have her baby. He then was to raise the child, educate him on the Hebrew Bible, find him when he wandered off, and teach him the family trade, carpentry. He was called upon to show him the full love of a father. Clearly, through his righteous relationship with God, he was given the ability to participate in the birth and the growth of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. It becomes very clear that Joseph's dreams were more than fulfilled in a way he could never have imagined, but they were fulfilled according to God's will and God's timeline. Jesus, and more specifically the small group who followed him, also had dreams that were fulfilled in a very unexpected way. Our second scriptural passage for today shows us in vivid terms the humanity of Jesus when he becomes grief-filled and angry. In our second scriptural passage, we see the depth of the emotion of grief in Jesus when he actually weeps over the future of Jerusalem. He also shows anger over the cause of that dreadful future. He has these emotions on his way to Jerusalem for his triumphal entry into the city the first Palm Sunday. His sadness and his anger are brought about by the fact that while on his way, he came upon the beauty of the city of Jerusalem, but he also knew its terrible future. When he viewed the beauty of the city, he also knew that as a result of a war between Rome and Jewish rebels that began in 66 AD and would end in a disaster for Jerusalem in 70 AD, about 40 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. These rebels had taken the city and had successfully held it against the Romans. A few days before Passover, several Roman legions led by the future emperor Titus surrounded the city and built ramparts to the city and would not let anybody in or out. The city was filled with pilgrims from many lands who came for Passover. The siege lasted seven months. Soon starvation and illness started sweeping sweeping through those that were within the city. Also, the rebels began to fight among themselves, not against the Romans, against themselves, and many were killed. The horrors within the city ended in a terrible way. When the Romans finally entered, they killed almost everyone that was there, men, women, and children, 
approximately one million people. The Romans then literally leveled and obliterated any sign of most of the city of Jerusalem. Years before that terrible event, Jesus and those relatively few that followed and believed in him had a dream for all of Palestine and beyond, which the city of Jerusalem represented, mainly it signified Palestine. It was the dream that all of Palestine and beyond would recognize God as seen through Jesus Christ. God as seen through the ministry, the teaching, and the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus and his disciples did everything they could to accept the God that they were preaching and talking about. They did preach. They taught. They healed. They fed. They showed them power of God that was seen through them. They sought to address the conditions of the poor and the outcasts of society. They taught specifically about the peace of God that could be theirs, a peace surpassing anything that they had ever known. And they were rejected at every point. They were rejected completely. That rejection rejection prompted Jesus to weep and to say those in Jerusalem and to say to those in Jerusalem who were rejecting him, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. To fully understand the anger of Jesus, we need to take a look at one of the circumstances that caused that anger. It takes place in the temple in Jerusalem, the center and most holy location of Judaism, and also the center of those who were against Jesus. There was a temple tax that had to be paid to even enter the temple. The tax was roughly the equivalent of two days' wages. Many people could not afford to do that. The temple tax had to be paid in either Galilean or temple currency. Other currencies were foreign and therefore deemed to be unclean for temple purposes. Therefore, foreign money must be exchanged for acceptable currency. That could be done only through the temple money changer, who charged exorbitant fees. Many people, including the foreigners who traveled a long way to worship in the temple on Passover, could not afford to exchange their money, could then could not enter the temple. Finally, many of the offerings made at the temple involved the giving of animals to be sacrificed for one reason or another. Now, one might think what what one had only what only you had to do was bring in the appropriate animal, hand it over to the priest, and it'd be sacrificed. Oh no! Oh no! Each animal that was brought in had to be inspected by the temple police to see if it was perfect and had no flaws, because those were the only kinds of animals that could be offered for a sacrifice. And guess what? The vast majority of animals that were brought in in that way were rejected. 
Then what? Then you had to buy an animal that was kept on the temple precincts, and you had to pay at least 10 to 15 times more for that animal than you would have had to pay in the market. What all this meant was that the temple had become, in the words of Jesus, a den of robbers where people were openly exploited for their money. It also meant that people of modest means or the poor couldn't even get to do anything in the temple because of the prices that were charged. They could not worship there. Also, foreigners were clearly discriminated against. Therefore, it is very understandable that Jesus angrily drove out all of the tax collectors, the money changers, and the animals from the temple. The point of these scriptural passages is that when our dreams do not occur, or when we plan them to occur, then we should take a second look at our dreams. When they are based solely upon ourselves and what we want, do they come true? Or when they are based upon what God wants and what God's timeline is based upon, what then about those dreams? Those dreams of based on God and on God's timeline may very well come true. However, they will not, they will, however, they will become true not on our timeline, but on the timeline of God. This outcome of dreams may not be what we expected, but what God desires. Take a look at Joseph. He had followed all the marriage requirements asked of him and was about to marry his betrothed. He must have been excited and happy about the coming marriage, the fulfillment of his dream. Then that dream was crushed and ruined by the news that a bride was pregnant. His dream could have ended right there, but we know it did not. He was blessed by God not only to marry Mary, but to be a stepfather and help raise Jesus Christ, the Messiah that he had heard about all his life. Now let's take a look at Jesus, and more specifically his disciples and his followers. Jesus had given them the dream that all of Palestine and beyond would come to and believe in God through Jesus Christ. And they had been rejected over and over and over again. Because of that rejection, Jesus was saying that Jerusalem and the nation it represented would be brutally destroyed. That must have been a crushing blow to the disciples who had had dreams of accomplishing what Jesus had taught, preached, and his ministry was all about. But we know, we know their dream was ultimately fulfilled. It came after Jesus was arrested, persecuted, suffered through a mock trial, punished, and was put to death. But then he was resurrected and appeared to his disciples. In those appearances, he made it clear that their dream was still alive and could come true. And it did. 
Christianity rapidly spread, not only throughout Palestine, but throughout the then known world. Yes, ultimately Jerusalem was destroyed, as well as much of Palestine, approximately 40 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. But by then, the Christian church had spread far beyond the dreams of the disciples. Their dreams, based upon what God ultimately did, came true. Not when they expected, but when God expected. So, in this Advent season, let us look at the dreams we hold dear. Are they based on what we want only for ourselves? Have we considered in our dreams what God, through Jesus Christ, would want us to dream? Are the results of our dreams based upon our own timeline as opposed to that of God? Perhaps all our dreams should be based upon the will of God and based upon the timing of God. If they are, then the possibility exists that our dreams will come true. But that coming of the possibility will not be in our hands, but will be in the hands of God, where it belongs. Let it be so. Amen.